Good morning. In today's headlines, an explosion at a chemical plant in Massachusetts. One worker is dead and four others sent to the hospital. A U.S. senator demands an explanation. Regional banks are going through another sell-off after PacWest stock plunge. What's going on there and is your money safe in the bank? The crisis at the U.S.-Mexico border could soon worsen. We hear from an expert with on-the-ground experience along with remarks from senators. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas faces more questions, this time about private boarding school tuition for a family member. Meanwhile, Senate Democrats try to ratchet up pressure on the court. And see how a crowd of Broadway performers show their love for a favorite deli and the Korean couple who ran it. Good morning and welcome to NTD. I'm Tiffany Meyer and for Kevin Hogan. And I'm Evelyn Lee. Good morning. Today is Friday, May 5th. Happy Friday, everybody. We made it through another week, Yay. but first we have a lot of news before we get to the weekend. That's right, and we're starting with the latest. An explosion at a pharmaceutical plant in Massachusetts killed one worker yesterday. The blast tore most of the building's roof off and blew an industrial-sized vat 30 feet into a parking lot. The worker who was killed was initially missing. Firefighters couldn't enter the building, though, to search for him because of concerns the building might collapse. His body has now been recovered. The company says four more people were sent to the hospital as a precaution, but luckily they were not hurt and have been released. Authorities say there is no threat to the nearby population. We don't know yet what caused the explosion, but the company has been cited with safety violations in the past. And back in 2020, a chemical reaction caused a series of explosions at the plant. Dem Democratic Senator Ed Markey says the explosion is already the third accident at the plant in recent years. He's calling on company officials and federal regulators to explain why. And now to California, a former UC Davis student has been arrested in connection to three stabbings near campus. The attacks left two people dead and one severely wounded over the span of five days. 21-year-old Carlos Dominguez was first taken into custody on Wednesday and was placed under arrest yesterday after further investigation. He is charged with two counts of homicide and one count of attempted murder. Police say tipsters led them to the suspect. That was near Sycamore Park, where one of the attacks took place. About 15 people called in to report someone that matched the description provided. Here's what the Davis police chief said. He was uh, wearing a backpack, and in, in the backpack was a, a large knife that was consistent with one that we were looking for based on evidence from the first homicide. The police chief says aside from the knife, evidence includes blood, fibers and other types of trace evidence. Dominguez could be arraigned as early as Monday. And now let's take a look at the financial sector. Fears of a system-wide banking contagion seem to be spreading in the U.S. Multiple regional banks' shares continue to fall yesterday. Western Alliance shares lost roughly a third of their value. First, Horizon Bank stock fell, fell by close to 40% after TD abandoned a merger deal. And shares of Comerica, Truist Financial and East West Bank lost significant ground as well. The loss has come after the Federal Reserve raised interest rates for the 10th time in a little over a year. Many are concerned about the risk of a recession. 
Joining me now is our very own NTD Business host, Don Ma. It's good to see you, Don. Well, good morning, Evelyn. Thanks for having me. Hope you're well. Of, of course. So would you please give us some insight first on what was behind the PacWest sell-off, as in what happened that spooked investors? Because for a while, it really seemed like everybody was breathing a sigh of relief. Well, what you have to understand is that people were already on the edge. People were jittery about the whole banking system after the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. So keep that in mind. And on Wednesday, we get a report from Bloomberg that PacWest was exploring strategic options. Now, this is according to people familiar with the matter. Now, what that means is PacWest is exploring a potential sell-off. So keeping in mind that people were already, you know, jittery about the whole banking system, and then we get this news, so investors were worried, and a sell-off happened because of that. And that report also mentioned they were exploring options to sell off assets, to raise liquidity, to raise cash. Now, when you hear a bank is trying to raise cash, obviously you would be worried, and I think the big sellout that we had with PacWest was really a confidence issue. You know, people are worried. The Silicon Valley Bank collapse was still fresh in people's minds. So I think that's what happened. Right. And we just also heard that all about all those uh, bank stocks sliding now. What exactly do we see in terms of spillover to other banks? And are people's money safe in the bank is what we really want to know. So in terms of the spillover, what we have to understand is that we operate on a fractional reserve banking system. That's, that's the systems that the banks use. So what that means is that if you deposit $10 into the bank, the bank may actually only hold about around $1 of your deposits. And it invests those other $9. Um, it lends out the other $9. Uh, let's say the bank has 10 customers and each of them has uh, deposits of $10. So in total, the bank would have $10 in deposits, even though it has 10 customers, each depositing $10. Now, if you wanted your money out, let's say you want to withdraw $10, the bank has that. It has 10 customers with $1 each in, in cash. You can take out your money. But if everyone wanted their money out, well, the bank would be in trouble. It would have to sell assets to raise cash because it doesn't have that much money on hand. And but is that the case right now? And do you think um, people's money, we can leave our money in the banks without being worried? Well, for regular people like you and me, I, I don't think there's much to worry about. Uh, the FDIC insures up to $250,000 in deposits per person per bank. So, Evelyn, I don't know if you're a millionaire or not, but if you were a millionaire, uh, I would suggest to split up your money between banks. You know, put 250000 in one bank uh, and then put the others in three other banks. So even if the bank collapses and it doesn't have enough money to pay back depositors, the F FDIC will ensure that you get your $250,000 back. Thank you so much, Don. You and I both know no millionaires here. Thank you so much, Don, with NTD Business News. Thank you. As Title 42 expires next week, agents at the southern border are expecting a massive influx of illegal immigrants. Tens of thousands have arrived at the border near El Paso, Texas. Lawmakers react, and we hear from a former agent who's on the ground.
The Biden administration is sending 1,500 troops to the southern border to prepare for the surge of illegal immigrants as Title 42 expires. The border policy officially ends May 11th, but border communities like El Paso are already bracing for an influx of illegal border crossers. What is happening on the border right now is very real. Everyone's looking at May 11th as this day where, where you know, uh, where Title 42 is going to end. In my eyes, Title 42 might as well have already ended. And places like El Paso are completely overwhelmed. As of Tuesday, some 22,000 illegal immigrants were in CBP custody. In recent days, about 7,000 people have tried crossing the southern border illegally on a daily basis. Victor Avila is a retired ICE special agent. He told NTD what the situation is like on the ground in El Paso. I'm born and raised in El Paso, Texas, and worked a lot of my law enforcement career in this town, and I didn't recognize it. Uh, there's thousands of people in downtown El Paso lining the streets on the sidewalk. What they're trying, to, they're trying to seek sanctuary at one of the churches down there, but it's already expanded beyond the, the, the block radius of the church. And uh, it really is chaotic, and, and it's really inhumane how the people uh, have been placed in these conditions because of the open border policy. Democratic Senator Elizabeth Warren reacting to the border crisis, saying she doesn't agree with President Biden on sending troops to the border. We need to have um, uh, a better plan overall on how to deal with not just problems at the border, but our immigration policy across the board. Republican Senator Ted Cruz says deliberate political decisions like halting construction of the border wall, ending remain in Mexico, and reinstating catch and release are to blame for the crisis. Over six million people have crossed illegally under Joe Biden. Last year, over 100,000 people died of drug overdoses, the vast majority of which was Chinese fentanyl streaming across the border under Joe Biden. Mexico says it will continue to take back illegal immigrants from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua, and Venezuela past May 11th on humanitarian grounds. But Colombia is temporarily suspending flights that return Colombian nationals captured by immigration officers at the U.S.-Mexico border. In a press briefing yesterday, the Pentagon said the 1,500 troops sent to the border will not conduct law enforcement activities and won't interact with illegal immigrants. They said they should arrive at the border around May 10th, and their role will remain back of house. That includes data entry and intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance monitoring. And more controversy surrounding Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and undisclosed payments. It has now surfaced that billionaire Republican donor Harlan Crow also paid for the private boarding school tuition for Thomas's grandnephew. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on that and a new push by Senate Democrats. Justice Thomas did not disclose the payments to the school. Supporters, including Thomas's attorney, say he didn't have to because a grandnephew is not a dependent child. Critics say Thomas thereby concealed a possible obligation to Crow and the causes he supports. Senator Dick Durbin highlighted the importance of an impartial judiciary at a Supreme Court ethics reform hearing. It is critical to our democracy that the American people have confidence that judges cannot be bought or influenced. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse criticized the double standard for ordinary justices and those of the high court. Only Supreme Court justices refuse to allow their conduct to be investigated or reviewed. 
A group of Senate Democrats is calling for tougher rules for justices for disclosing income and potential conflicts of interest. The group seeks to withhold up to $10 million in funding from the Supreme Court until it implements a public code of ethics for court justices. Senator Josh Hawley says that number is nearly identical to the amount of new security funding the court has requested due to heightened safety concerns. The threat is we will deny you security unless you do what we want. Hawley brought up recent threats the justices have faced. We had an assassin come to the home of Justice Kavanaugh and try to murder him. Senator John Kennedy addressed Senator Chuck Schumer's comments outside the Supreme Court, directed at conservative court members hearing an abortion case in 2020. You have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. And the political threats of some of the highest officials in our government fueled physical threats against the justices. Senator Lindsey Graham says that the so-called assault on Justice Thomas goes well beyond ethics. This is not about making the court better. This is about destroying a conservative court. Democrats have denied any plans to target the Supreme Court's security. Senator Chris Van Hollen says they are looking at all options to promote a Supreme Court ethics rule, but say they will not cut or restrict money for court security. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. Coming up, a tragic incident on the New York City subway. A Marine veteran allegedly choked an unruly passenger to death. That's coming up. Good to have you back. A tragic incident in New York City. A United States Marine veteran allegedly choked a subway passenger to death. Witnesses say the passenger was unruly and acted aggressively. Entities Jason Perry has a story and a warning. This report contains video footage some viewers may find disturbing. I'm here in New York City next to the subway station where a Marine veteran reportedly choked to death an unruly passenger. A witness explained what the passenger did. He interrupted in the train and then started to yell in um, violence, language. Um, I don't care if I die, I don't care if I go into jail, um, I don't have any food, I don't have any beverage, um, I'm done. And that's around the time a Marine veteran and two other men intervened. As seen in this video from Wednesday, the Marine veteran wearing a tan jacket has that passenger in a chokehold from behind. Two other men nearby appear to be there to help restrain the passenger, who was later identified as Jordan Neely. He was known for impersonating Michael Jackson, as seen in this video from about 10 years ago. A witness said the Marine veteran had Neely in a chokehold for seven or eight minutes, while others have said it was for 15 minutes. Neely died from that chokehold, according to the office of the chief medical examiner, which also ruled that his death was a homicide. The veteran, whose name has not been released, was questioned by police and was released, according to local media reports. Protesters voiced their frustration at that subway station and hit the streets of New York City. On the other hand, New York City Mayor Eric Adams said this about the incident. 
And each situation is different. I was a former transit police officer, and I responded to many jobs where you had a passenger assisted someone. And so we cannot just blankly say, blankly say what a passenger should or should not do in a situation like that. We should allow the investigation to take its course. So what's the best course of action when encountering an erratic or unruly passenger? I asked some people walking by. I usually switch cars <laughs> or get off. <laughs> It's always about situational awareness. You know, like I see people come in, grab a seat and jump into their cell phone and they're alien to everything that's going on around you. Not necessarily the wisest course of action. Um, I have to feel out the situation because I recognize that sometimes hey ignoring makes it worse. Walk away. Why is that the best thing to do? You diffuse the situation. A spokesperson for the Manhattan District Attorney's Office said the investigation will be handled by senior prosecutors. He also said they'll give an update when there's additional information to share with the public. Jason Perry, NCD News, New York. Now to the West Coast. As the writer's strike continues in Hollywood, what does it mean for our entertainment? We hear from Brent Penvidic, award-winning film director, TV producer, and a columnist for Forbes. He has over 300 credits, including Pawn Stars and the independent film Why I'm Not on Facebook, the Best Picture winner at the Manhattan Film Festival. He's also the author of The Three-Minute Rule. Brent Penvidic, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. So right now in Hollywood, the writer's strike is ongoing, and it seems this isn't the first time. Actually, 15 years ago, there was a similar one that impacted everything from James Bond's Quantum Solace, Gossip Girl, also late-night talk shows. What can we expect from this strike this time? Well, I, I think that both sides understand this is a much more dangerous place to be in. The, the areas for entertainment for the public now are so widespread that any prolonged damage here to creating content will force people to find alternative entertainment like it did 15 years ago you found reality tv and it sort of birthed an entire industry what i don't neither side wants to birth another industry which would probably be in social media that would you know effectively really damage the you know film and television industry and Brand, given that the stakes are higher this time, how long do you expect it to go this time, the strike? I, I, if I was betting, I would probably say you won't get more than three months. Um, anything longer than that, it starts to actually affect production timelines, and the general public will feel that. And I think that neither side wants to get into that precarious area. Um, but it's hard to say. I mean, you don't know how stubborn both sides can be in these kind of things. And on that point, we're already seeing late-night talk shows doing reruns. What could be impacted the longer this lasts? What maybe shows or movies do you see potentially getting impacted? Well, definitely anything that runs live. And so the live talk, the, the late-night talk shows are definitely the ones that are going to feel it the most. And I think they have a tremendous risk. You know, they create a personal connection with their audience. It's, you know, the ratings of the shows are not what they used to be. And so telling the audience, hey, we're not going to be here for potentially months at this 1135 or 1205 or whatever time you tune in normally every night, go find something else to do. That is a very uh, impactful thing for that particular group. So I think they're going to probably be feeling it more than anybody. 
And Brant, Writers Guild members are saying they're picketing to preserve job security. How much do you see AI and ChatGPT, these types of things, impacting not just the writer's part, but the whole industry? Um, I don't think the AI thing is a real risk. The, the level and the quality of writing at Hollywood levels is not something that can be taught. It's not something that can be learned. There's just a very few people that can do it at that level. Um, and it's such a high level skill and the audience just won't accept mediocrity. So I think it's more of a talking point than it is a real concern. Hopefully the movie magic will continue. Let's hope. Brant Penvidic, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Social media scams are skyrocketing. People buying things online are having their money stolen, their personal information stolen, and their credit card numbers stolen. And today's Colin Fredrickson tells us how we can protect ourselves. Social media scams have skyrocketed over the past five years. $1.2 billion in reported losses in 2022. The scammers advertise fake products or promise free items to get your money. They also take credit card information and other personal info. They usually use some kind of scamming technique to assure you that it's not wrong, right? They'll say, these are you know giveaways or we're trying to get our name out there or something like that. Uh, but if you look them up, they're, they're just not around. Jason Kent is the hacker in residence at Sequence Security. Kent says we can find these scams on all kinds of platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Oftentimes, they, they look like something that's very innocent. And these are short videos. They're pushed through social media. Maybe it's a one-minute video or something that looks kind of flashy. And they advertise, hey, special price, act now. Scott Schober is a cybersecurity expert at BVS. He says these scams usually involve small dollar amounts because the scammers don't want to get caught. Schober says what they're really after is your data. Your data is valuable because they can sell it. This includes one's address, name, likes, and social media handles. This information could be used to perform identity theft. Schober says they may also be after your credit card information. If they compromise your credit card, they could sell your credit card, they can use your credit card to buy other things, and they do typically. If they compromise your credit card, they'll then buy cryptocurrency or they'll buy gift cards, often to make it a little bit difficult to trace it back to them. So what should you do about these scams? The experts say, first of all, use good judgment. Use a credit card when buying online, not a debit card. Debit cards are directly connected to your bank account. Meanwhile, when you buy something with a credit card, you're using the bank's money, not yours. And if you've already fallen for a scam, be sure to freeze your credit with one of the credit reporting agencies and call your bank. On the back of your card, there, there will be a way to get a hold of them or on your statements, there'll be a way to get a hold of them in the event of fraud. And that's the number that you want to dial. If you see all these transactions happening, call the fraud hotline. They pick those up pretty fast. They want to stop those transactions too. It's in their best interest. Experts say you should also call the police and file a report, which helps them understand cybercrime. This will help them fight these scammers in the long run. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. Coming up, when a heartbroken Broadway community found out their favorite deli was closing down after nearly four decades, they sprung into action and give its owner a special farewell. That story after the break. Welcome back. You have to see the story. It really melts my heart. It's about a Korean-owned deli in the Big Apple that got an emotional Broadway send-off after nearly 40 years in business. 
Starlight Deli first rolled out the red carpet in New York City's theater district in 1984. At that time, owners Mr. and Mrs. Kim had no idea just how beloved their business would become by the Broadway community. When they decided to close shop and retire nearly four decades later, they probably didn't foresee the reaction they would get. A now viral TikTok video was posted by Broadway performer Preston Mui. In it, a crowd of Starlight Deli fans stopped by the restaurant to give the cherished shop a proper farewell. They serenaded the pair with Rogers Happy Trails. But the Broadway crowd didn't stop there. They wanted to show their appreciation in another way as well. Let's take a look. So they put together a hefty collection and gifted them with a generous check. Mr. Kim said that's a moment that he will never forget in his life. Wow, that was really sweet. I think a lot of people are much more appreciated than they realize. So it's great when you get to see people find yeah, out. Absolutely. And I, I, I have to admit, this video gave me some goosebumps. Really. It's a very touching story. It was. What a great way to end this week. In fact, that's all for today's program. We really appreciate your feedback. So please continue to share your thoughts at goodmorning at ntd.com. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Tiffany Meyer.